Hello, and welcome to the PyTorch Dev Podcast. My name is Edward, and today I want to talk about vectorization. Vectorization is a very important component of any self-respecting uh, de deep learning or really any numeric computing library that lives on CPU. But sometimes it has a bit of a reputation for being this like very mysterious, very magical thing. You know, uh, numerical codes go into compiler, vectorized instructions come out, and you know, you're not really meant to know how exactly the sausage is made. Well, actually, you know, vectorization isn't that magic, and today I want to talk a little bit about how um, we make use of vector instructions in PyTorch, um, what vectorization is, and some of the sort of tips and pitfalls associated with vectorization in the code base. So what is vectorization? Well, imagine that you're um, doing uh, some computation on your CPU. Normally, um, the way a CPU works and what you learned in your architecture class is you have a bunch of instructions, you feed the instructions into the CPU, and the CPU goes ahead and does the things that you ask it to do. So for example, if you, you know, want to do an add, you tell the CPU, hey, I want to add um, this number and this number together from these two registers, and the CPU will go ahead and do that for that single instruction. Now, as you might imagine, when we're doing numeric computing, we don't have just one number, we have a lot of numbers. And we wanna do the same thing to all of these numbers. And that's where vector instructions come in. Vector instructions are a form of what we call SIMD parallelism, that's S-I-M-D, single instruction, multiple data, where instead of giving your CPU an instruction to do an operation on a single piece of data, you can give your CPU an instruction to work on multiple pieces of data. That's why they're called, it's called vectorization, because you're working on a vector of numbers rather than one number. So when you want to write some vectorized, vectorized code, you have a bunch of these vector registers, which are larger registers than you normally be able to use to do various computations, the idea being you like fit in multiple numbers into these registers, and then you have a whole pile of new instructions to do things like add, but not just add one number, but add all of the numbers in your vector registers. And the vector instructions are actually pretty simple. And so if you wanted to, you know, go and learn how to like, you know, write some vectorized code by hand, all you'd have to do is really pull up the Intel manual or, you know, whatever, um, you know, manual for whatever processor you wanted to do and like just look and find which instructions you wanted to do. Or you could use a library like Sleaf, which already provides pre-vectorized instructions for you. Or you could even just, you know, write some code and hope that your compiler's auto-vectorizer handles it for you. You just, you need to pass the flag like MAVX and it will try its best to vectorize your code for you. So on Intel CPUs, which are the CPUs that most people are using, um, the vector uh, instructions are called AVX stand for Advanced uh, Vector in Extension. And there's a bunch of different versions of AVX, basically because over the years, Intel was like, ah, you know, uh, we only really wanna do vector operations on two pieces of data. So here, have an extension that does that. Actually, that was called SSE. And then over time, they gave more uh, instructions, more bigger vector registers, and more and more features. And so as time went on, you know, they released AVX, then AVX2, then AVX512. Uh, and so just, you know, over time, there's more and more functionality. But remember, and this is gonna be very important later in this podcast, that, you know, you need a CPU that actually has 
the silicon for doing whatever it is you want to do. So if you've got like a you know CPU from like 2015, chances are it doesn't actually have AVX 512, it only has AVX 2. You can actually um, find out what vector extensions are supported by your CPU on Linux by catting out the contents of proc CPU info. Um, that's um, a magic file that the Linux kernel provides that tells you all about your CPUs, it'll tell you the model, and it'll also tell you all the extensions that it supports. And then you can look and see you know, which AVX is on there. Okay, so AVX is a bunch of vector instructions. I'm not really here to teach you like how to write AVX code. I actually have no idea how to write AVX code by hand. Instead, in PyTorch, we have a bunch of abstractions to make it easy for us to manually vectorize our code because often we don't really trust the compiler to do a good job in vectorization. So we just wanna you know, actually tell, hey, here are the exact instructions I want you to use so that there's no possibility for the compiler to mess it up. And then the set of header files which help us do vectorization in PyTorch are called the VEC, aptly named VEC headers. And so currently in PyTorch, we don't have support for AVX 512. We just have uh, support for AVX 2, AKA AVX 256, so-called because the registers are 256 bits wide. And so we have a class called VEC 256, which just represents a bunch of vector data stored in the vector registers, and then has a bunch of operations like add, sub, you know, sign, and so forth for doing vector operations on this vector piece of data. So if you want to write some vectorized code, chances are, you know, you might just be able to like get VEC256 and then uh, get your data into VEC256. And we actually have a bunch of wrapper functions like CPU kernel, which help, you know, handle all the fiddly, you know, edge conditions. Because remember, vector instructions always work on, you know, four pieces of data. So what if you've got seven pieces of data? Well, you have to do the vectorized instruction on the four, but then you need a manual loop to fi finish the last three. So you like get your vectorized thing and then you just tell, you know, exactly what vector instructions you want to do by just calling these methods on VEC256. And if you want to like actually implement some new and interesting functionality using the raw intrinsics, the intrinsics being various special functions your compiler provides that lets you just directly call various vector instructions, you can do that too. And typically you just go into the VEC256 class and you write in exactly what instructions you want it to use in this situation. So it's a pretty fun exercise to, you know, add vectorization support for something. And like, if you're sort of, uh, in the mood for just like, you know, cracking open the Intel manual and like reading some papers and trying to figure out how to vectorize something. Um, you know, a, a pretty fun task is, you know, hey, I need to do something fast. And right now we only have these crappy, you know, uh, single instruction implementation for it in PyTorch. Maybe I can vectorize it. Um, some things are easy to do, like if you're just doing some point-wise operation, um, you just need to figure out the right sequence of vector instructions to get the computation you want to do. Some things are harder to do. Um, I remember um, a U-Man wizard way back in the day actually implemented a vectorized sort um, for um, PyTorch. We never merged it because it was too complicated. But, you know, like, that's the kind of thing, like, there's a ton of things you can accelerate using vector instructions, and actually they will run a lot faster on CPU if you do that. So it's often worth doing it this way. So that's it for what is vectorization and how people do vectorization in PyTorch. And um, that's 
nearly it, but I want to tell you a little bit more about some of the weird things that we do in the code base to actually make this all tick. So remember this thing that I said, right? I said that not all CPUs support all vector instructions, depending on if your CPU is from 2010 or 2015 or from 2020, um, you know, you're gonna have different support for vectorized instructions. And no one really wants to, you know, try to run their PyTorch program and get a SIG illegal instruction because, you know, you tried to feed the CPU some instruction it didn't understand. And this is actually a bit of a problem for us because when you compile your code, um, that's when the compiler makes the decision to make use the various vector instructions that it has available. But the compiler doesn't know where you're actually going to run the code later. It's not like you know, you're compiling some code and you're trying to test if you, know, you have uh, libxml on your system. And if you do have it, then you compile with support for libxml, otherwise you don't compile with support for it. It's not like that because you actually have no idea where your end user is going to run your code. And so, you know, you have no idea what uh, vector instructions are going to be available. And so, you know, if you don't do anything special, you really can only ship your software for the lowest common denominator of CPU you want to support. And typically that's just, you know, no vector instructions at all because, you know, old CPUs have been around for a really long time. So the way we work around this problem is, you know, we just say, okay, fine. Some CPUs support vector instructions, some don't. So let's just compile our instructions multiple times um, to, for each level of CPU support we want to support. And then just, you know, query the CPU processor at runtime and use that to pick the particular compi compiled version of our code that actually does the vector instructions. So we have a system that does this. It's called dispatch stub. Um, dispatch stub sounds very complicated, and in fact, you can also use it to dispatch to CUDA versus CPU, but really it has one goal in life, and its goal in life is to let you get to the appropriately vectorized version of your code depending on what CPU capability you have. So there's a bunch of macros, and if you like sort of cargo cult the code, you can you know usually figure out how to make this work. But the basic concept is in the native slash CPU folder, um, any file you put in there will get compiled multiple times, once per vectorization uh, level that PyTorch supports. And then each of these compilation units will register its kernel to dispatch stub saying, hey, I'm the AVX256 version, hey, I'm the AVX version, and hey, I'm the non-vectorized version. And then dispatch stub will just you know, query what CPU capabilities you have and then dispatch to the correct one. And there's a bunch of sort of magic that has to happen to actually make this all work out. For example, when you actually compile this code multiple times, you have to be really, really careful not to accidentally um, compile any other code that you don't actually want. And this is important because when you compile C++, normally, um, you would imagine you just compile the functions that you define in your C++ file. But that's not entirely true. When you do, for example, template specializations, C++ will blat out another bunch of code and then sort of rely on the linker to deduplicate this code later. And so if you happen to blat out some code that in fact uses some vector instructions, and then that copy of the code overrides the regular version of the code that you compiled with no vector instructions, because remember we don't want to 
um, we don't want to assume that everyone supports vector instructions, then you can end up with normal code like vector resize using AVX2 instructions and then your binary packages will be very unhappy because they'll like package the binaries, it'll work all fine because all of our test machines are AVX2 and then like uh, some user is going to report to us that, hey, when I import torch, I get a SIG illegal instruction. What's up with that? Actually, we do have a test for this now in CI, so you don't have to worry about silently breaking this. There's two more things I want to say. One is that um, if you want to, you know, sort of, if you've got a very uh, featureful CPU, you can actually manually change what vector instruction you want to do. There's an environment variable that lets you do this. It escapes my mind at the moment, but you can look it up. Um, and it's, it's got capability in its name in all caps. And that you can just use it to, you know, switch between versions. And it's actually a pretty nice way to see like how much extra benefit you're getting at a higher level of vectorization. One last thing. So very, very recently, okay, not that recently at this point, but fairly recently, Intel's released support for the new AVX 512 extension. And so we've sort of been using it on and off, but we actually don't support it in the library proper. And the reason we don't support it is because of this funny thing that happens to Intel CPUs when you start running AVX 512 instructions. They downclock. Somehow, for some reason, when they design the C CPUs, they like put too much silicon on it. And if you like actually use the AVX 512 silicon, it overheats the chips. So they can't actually use all of the chips at this point in time. So they downclock the processor to make sure their heat output isn't too big. And that means that if you are switching in and out of AVX 512 instructions and regular instructions, the downclocking will actually kill your overall performance. So we've kind of been like kind of loath to actually add support for AVX 512. But there's some very enthusiastic open source contributors who have been trying to add support for this at the framework level. So go them, they're working on it. If you're really interested, check out their PR, which I'm gonna post as a link in the rest of this podcast. So that's everything I have to say about vectorization. Vectorization, it's not magic. Well, okay, when we recompile your code multiple times, that's maybe a little magic. Hopefully this explains some reasons why you have to put some code in CPU, some code in not in CPU. Some of it is vectorized, some of it isn't. And hopefully it also tells you why you can't just, you know, use random templates inside the CPU folder because of symbol problems. Uh, so that's all for today. Um, see you all next time.